What's good, podcast fam? It's your boy, Jason Craig, a.k.a. The Friendly Neighborhood Dreadhead. And I'm here with another edition of my interview series. And I, this is a special one for me just because comic books hold a very near, dear place in my heart. I'm going to be interviewing comic book writer, Chris Michael. How you doing, Chris? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing really great. I'm actually really excited. You don't even know. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for taking the time with me tonight. Man, no problem. I, I love talking to people. Hopefully I don't talk your ear off tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we're going to try to get you out of here within an hour, man. We're going to try to get you awesome. out of here within an hour. So, Chris, uh, what got you into comics, man? I've always been a comic book fan since I was a little kid. Um, you know, my, my dad got me one of the first prints of uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I still have it, actually. And... I've, I've just been into them ever since I was a little kid. Uh, I have a bunch still. Now, mind you, a lot of them aren't in great condition, but I have a lot of the original comics from the 80s that uh, I grew up on. And wow. so a few years ago, uh, I just had this story that, you know, my friends and I were, were making. It's we're, We play D&D, and the D&D campaign was so much fun, I just wanted to draw it out. And it kind of turned into a comic book. Uh, it wasn't something that I anticipated doing at first. Um, it just kind of happened over over time and became became what it is now. Right, right. So you say that you had got had a lot of comic books from the '80s. So I'm guessing you're an '80s baby. Oh yeah, '83. '83. Oh man, I'm living in the good era. Mm-hmm. Uh, good music, movies, and cocaine. yep 80s and 90s man i grew up in a i grew up in a really good time so for me when i was in like when i was in high school like i'm a 90s baby but Mm -hmm. when i was in high school being a nerd was still frowned upon was it the same in the 80s or did people kind of embrace it like how was it for you um i didn't really care i moved so much i didn't have a chance to really be known as anything um i went through three first grades two second grades two third grades uh we we just kept moving and so i really didn't uh, I, no one really thought i was a nerd they just knew i didn't talk to anybody because i figured hey in three months i'm gonna have a new class anyway i'm not gonna get to know anyone i kind of kept to myself um as a kid everyone knew that i was the the quiet guy in the corner drawing and i remember when I was in second grade, I decided I wanted to write a book about dinosaurs. And so I think I spent two years working on that and no one really, I didn't get really made fun of. I was smart. And uh, I used to charge people, you know, again, this was the eighties. So like 10 cents to do their homework um, when I was in like second and third grade. So people were, were nice to me, I guess. No one really picked on me. And high school, you know, 90s in, the, in high school, it was frowned upon being a nerd. But by then, you also had James Bond on the Nintendo 64, which everybody played. So people that didn't care that you played video games. If you started talking about video games and it went over their head, you could be like, oh, yeah, and I played James Bond. And all of a sudden, you were cool again. Um, <laughs> you have to talk about Final Fantasy or something, and they get they give you this cross-eyed weird look, and all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, I murder people, and James Bond. They're like, oh, I play that, and um, you know, you kind of like save yourself. But uh, you know, I was also into sports. I played every sport there was, and so no one really, no one really knew I was a nerd. Um, even even 
you know, as, as life went on, I used to be a, uh, a district manager for GameStop. And one of my regular customers in one of the stores I went to, you, you know, he knew me pretty well every time I was there and he was there, we'd talk. And um, one, one time I was there and I had, you know, I work out pretty often too. I had some of my, uh, my protein shakes on the back and a salad. And he said, who's, who's eating protein in a salad? And I was like, that's me. He goes, he goes, you work out? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like both sides. The nerds didn't know that I, I, I worked out and the guys, the jocks in the gym and uh, the, my sports friends didn't know that I was a nerd. So I guess I did pretty good hiding everything. <laughs> I about to say, you probably, been, you probably make a great comic book superhero. <laughs> yeah, I had an alternate identity. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So, you, so you're an 80s baby. So what was one of your favorite comics to read from the 80s? I, I enjoyed the original run of X Factor. I really, I've been a, a Batman fan since I can remember. My first birthday cake that I have pictures of is a Batman birthday cake. Oh, we can uh, be friends. We can be great friends. <laughs> my wedding band is actually a bunch of uh, Batman symbols with diamonds in them. Oh, uh, my wife went all out on that ring. But um, she really yeah, loves I, you. <laughs> Wolverine, I have somewhere. In a box somewhere, I have the first printing of the first like 30 issues of Wolverine. So I got to find those because I'm sure they're worth some money because they're all in plastic and everything. Right. Um, X-Men, 90s X-Men, Chris Claremont is probably my favorite series um, that I remember reading religiously because the, the, you know, the Jim Lee art style uh, Wolverine just looked so awesome. Beast looked awesome. Colossus was huge. Uh, you know, I, I loved that run. And then as Jim Lee moved away and the art kind of started going downhill, that's when I moved on to Spawn. And then I got, I, I was a big fan of Spawn for a long time. I traveled with my dad and my dad was a truck driver. I spent three summers traveling and just getting all the Spawn comics. So I have the first run of Spawn, I think up to issue 30, uh, all first editions somewhere. And then um, those, those are like the main main ones that I would follow. And of course, if Spider-Man was on a rack somewhere, I'd pick that up, uh, you know, New Mutants, a few things like that. But I, I was a huge fan. Like I said, X-Men, the 90s, Chris Claremont run and Spawn were like my go-tos. Oh, okay, okay. So... You said that you you um you read all the Chris Claremont X Men. Which one was your favorite story that he wrote? The uh, the the Phalanx one with all the God. I, I have the hologram issues around here somewhere, um, but nothing will beat X Men number one. Jim Lee, Chris Claremont versus Magneto. I loved the introduction of Avalon. I don't know if you've remember the story, but when he just has this his own little you know island of, of mutants. Oh and, yeah, I I know exactly what you're talking about. Yep, the, just uh, when when he really developed Magneto and gave him you know his his I don't know it, to me that just X Men number one right there. I had that four cover spread and. The, the big battle against Magneto, you know, like, like just that initial run really just, I watched a, I watched an interview with him 
And I found out why I like his stuff so much is because he comes from film background. So he was writing scripts for movies and turning them into comic books. Right. So there's a lot more depth to it. And I loved how, I love the storyline where um, uh, Mystique's sister gets, you know, the twin sister gets, you know, brought in. Of course, he made uh, Cyclops like this big pimp too, which was funny. <laughs> um, really, like everything in that in that time period, he did uh, up until he got away from the title, and then I guess they tried to bring Gene back, which made him mad. But his his was very like consolidated. You knew that he had a plan, and it wasn't just throwing stuff at a wall and hoping that it sticks. Like he actually continued to write the story and. That, that really, you know, drew me in. Something that pushed me away from comics for a long time was the constant changes. So you would pick up a book and then kind of get lost. You know, yeah, right. the, the one side story that or alternate universe that I loved was Age of Apocalypse. I have, I think every issue of Age of Apocalypse somewhere, I have the omnibus omnibuses because there's multiples um really enjoyed that but other than that like one alternate universe when i got back into it it was just really hard to figure out where the story went you right. had x-men from different timelines you had you know wolverine was dead and then he's back and then he's it was just a lot um so i that's what actually drew me into indie comics was you know, being able to have one con like consolidated story and you know where you are, where you're at in the timeline. Anytime you pick up a book, you know, if you pick up book six, you're only six issues into the story. You're not, you know, which issue one do I have to read? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like you said, um, you mentioned Chris Claremont's X-Men run. That's what's so funny is we won the same. Chris Claremont is what really got me into the X-Men because I don't know if you read this story. I think this came up like a year before you were born was X-Men, X-Men, God Loves, Man Kills. Besides the Dark Phoenix saga, that is my favorite X-Men comic book, just because I've always liked the X-Men, just because they, they can, they've always had social commentary in their books. And it's not too in your face. It's, it comes off natural in their stories. And that's why I've always gravitated towards them and it's so crazy that how stan lee he um everybody always asks him is magneto and professor x based off of malcolm x and malcolm x and martin luther king but what's so funny is that was never the that was never the idea it was it, it was just something that he that he did but it just coincidentally those two characters mirrored um those two great men in real life so i always thought that was genius by stan lee how relevant the how relevant the stories in x-men really were the x-men really you know, a lot of people don't understand and you hear like people argue about x-men a lot but it was always about like the misfits right you know and that's what i enjoyed about it and if i'm not mistaken too like claremont had such an impact on and it's one of the reasons why x-men i know to me fell apart after he left like his the Dark Phoenix saga, for instance, or saga, however you want to say it, um, probably his best, you know, storyline. He kills off Jean Grey with the intent to kill off Jean Grey and never bring her back. 
right um and and just the introducing the dark phoenix and all that stuff like that was such a great piece of, of literature there and then for what 20 years later or not even 20 years they, they just bring her back and he was just so mad he was like i, I killed her off for a reason <laughs> you know yeah um, i think he took characters that like x-men really wasn't doing that great at one point and he just like reinvented them uh one of my you know as far as x-men go I really like the giant size X-Men where they introduced Wolverine and Colossus and all those characters. And it was almost like we're, we're reintroducing them to save. And in the, in the story, you know, they're going to save the original X-Men, but really like the, the underlying story is we're reinventing X-Men to save the X-Men. <laughs> right. Um, you know, even as a kid, I kind of picked up on that, that the, the underlying story was really, they're just trying to, send this new team out to save the title itself and it and, and it worked um because we still had them and it made them very popular yeah. but when you have a character like wolverine kind of you know it kind of works for you yeah it does but it's like so crazy because i don't know like if if like you're a death with a lot of comic book history but me i'm a huge comic nerd i've watched hour-long videos just on comic books funny thing about the dark phoenix saga i forgot it was Whoever was the head of Marvel Comics at the time, he did not like Jean Grey. He did not like her at all. So they kept going back and forth um, with trying to, with killing her, with killing Jean, not killing Jean. So then when they finally did, um, I think what I think he had left the company and then they wanted um, Chris Claremont to bring Jean back. He said, no, she's dead. But of course, eventually they brought her back. Yeah. And I, I just think that's so fascinating. It's like, it's so crazy that a lot of things, a lot of things that like a lot of butting heads in the, in the offices of Marvel and DC has brought us some of our, some of the greatest comics. I thought, I think that's just so fascinating. Comics as a medium has always been like fascinating to me because it's a good blend of, of visual storytelling with, you know the the giving you the some of the ability to use your imagination um which also hurts it in the long run too when they try to adapt it elsewhere because you're so attached to these things that you've been able to you know let your mind run rampant on but it, it's so immersive and as a kid um you know i i didn't have the best childhood i'm you know i'm sure a lot of people in the same boat but we moved quite a bit my mom and dad were divorced I went from being like an only kid. My mom gets remarried. And then after time, I was like one of 11. And I just didn't know where I fit. And comics always felt comfortable to me. Um, you know, being able to, to jump into these stories and these cool. I remember being in like third grade, looking out the window and always debating what I want. You know, what I want, you know, Archangel's wings, what I want, Wolverine's like healing ability, what I want to be like Gambit. You know, Gambit was a pimp. So you know, in fourth grade, trying to pick up girls, that always, like, you know, that seemed cool. Um, there's just, I remember just sitting there, always debating which power I wanted to have, uh, which is kind of cool when I started writing my book. It's one of the things I used to inspire what turned into my comic book, was just being able to, you know, create your own superpowers and what would you do with them? Yeah, man, that, that's really, that's really an interesting take on it, man. So, I know you, <laughs> which is going to segue into our our next, my next question. Now you said that sometimes the adaptations don't work. 
So with the with the string of comic book adaptations that we have gotten over the years, do you think that it's gotten better over time? From when they, um, from when they first started doing these comic book adaptations, like I'm talking about, like from the '90s, I feel like that's when it really was when it really started popping off. I would say yes and no. Um, I mean, personally, the original Blade movie still we're good and i read some of the blade comics it's really hard to adapt some of that stuff just because of how dark it does get right. they did a good job with the, the original blade movie you know blade three was a bunch of drugs and <laughs> you know, uh fighting and all that stuff so it didn't turn out that great and we can you know blame whichever actor you want on that one but i think i think the 90s is still going to hold a place because it's what introduced everyone to those movies we wouldn't have the MCU and all these other things without it. But I do think they've learned what, what works. I don't know if anybody, if you, you know, if you've seen the new Spider-Man movie. Oh, um, I, just, I loved it. If they could continue writing stories like that, we'll be fine. I don't think they will. Just from some of the interviews that I've seen with producers and the executives and, and all that. Um, you know, they, they want to continue to reinvent things that we as fans and the people that have supported these titles forever, we're comfortable with it this way because that's what we've read and that's what we've known. And look at, uh, like, if you look at the MCU, because I mean, we won't even go into DC because they really haven't even learned how to make a like continuous story that lasts more than two movies. So <laughs> just just saying they've already canned the justice league and i was like you know Zack snyder's cut was good but i'm really glad we didn't get that weird storyline where um uh, batman slipped sleeps with lois lane like, oh yeah <laughs> you, so i'm gonna sidebar myself for a moment but seriously we're gonna go from a movie where they're fighting each other and the only thing that brings them together is their mother's name to a, the next movie where Bruce is mourning the loss of this guy he knew for 10 minutes. And now all of a sudden you're going to go to the future where they're supposedly best friends and he sleeps with his wife. Like there's a lot in that story that just doesn't make sense to me. Well, one, I will defend Zack Snyder. This is probably the last time I will. Uh, I will defend him on this. It could, I don't know if you noticed, but when Marvel started picking up steam in like 20, I'll say 2015, DC was trying their best to play catch up and in the long run that hurt DC because I'm a I'm a DC guy. I'm a DC guy. I've read some Marvel comic books, but not not as much as I've read DC comic books. And there's a lot of great storylines that DC has that could be adapted. But they just they they played they were thinking with the business mind instead of thinking with the creative mind because if they would have took their time, they would have had so much content that they could have put out. Mm -hmm. Like we could have seen, I've always said this to me, dark side is better as a villain than Thanos. We could have seen that. We could have seen, seen the new guys, the rest of the new guys. We could have seen uh, the kingdom come storyline. It's like so much that they could have did, but unlike these, unlike Marvel, DC doesn't have a Kevin Feige. They don't have an executive producer that has a love for comic books, 
hell, before every um, movie that they make, Kevin Feige sits down with each director and they watch the original Superman movie because that's how he modeled, that's how he models origin stories that was the, the original Superman movie. So I just think DC needs that. And sorry about that tangent. Just had oh, no, no, my fine. My my only gripe on Marvel is every every first movie, every hero fights a mirror version of themselves. <laughs> every single time. Oh, I never thought about it that way. <laughs> Look at every origin. They fight their mirror version. Iron Man started it with with uh, Iron Monger, right? And then um, we won't even go into Thor one because I still haven't even processed if I like it or not. I've watched it like a dozen times. Um, the Thor run really didn't pick up until they changed Thor, and then we can argue that they gave us a weird Thor. But I won't talk about Thor. But <laughs> we'll go into even Black Panther. As great of a movie it was, he fought himself. Um, he literally fought uh, himself because. By that point, you know, he was fighting the guy who took over his, his suit. Um, you go in, uh, even Shang-Chi, aside from the, the, the giant dragon fight that was all CGI, his dad was a mirror version of him. He even had the, they were just rings versus rings. Um, I haven't seen a Marvel movie, and, and I won't count Spider-Man because Sony has their hands all over it. I haven't seen an MCU movie origin story where it wasn't a mirror version. And we can even go into Captain America versus Red Skull. Red Skull had the super serum too, and they're just fighting each other. Right. Um, that's my only gripe about Marvel is I don't really care about your first movie because I'm just going to watch them fight themselves. Right. So that's my only gripe there as far as the overall MCU. I think where we as fans kind of um feel jaded is we forget this is an alternate universe to what our comic books are and so while they're inspired and you might see some cool stories that take place that you're that you want to see th these are still different characters than what we grew up on and that's why every time they announce that they're changing something about a character i'm like whatever you know I was a big fan of, of DC doing it with Earth 2, where we had, you know, the, the Thomas Wayne as Batman, and we had a different Superman, and we had a different Wonder Woman, and even, even the Green Lantern, you know, the different Green Lantern. We had all these different takes on the characters. I liked that, because it gave them a place to tell a similar story, but different. And so when I go to, like, an MCU movie, I, I look at it like, okay, cool, these are characters I know, but they're not the characters that I love. Let's see if I, you know, which ones I like now, because I'm going to like a different version of the, those characters. I never liked Iron Man. I really liked what they did with Iron Man until Iron Man 3. Um, but, you know, I, even as a kid, never really cared about Iron Man. I think it's funny that he took off so well when, when he was, <laughs> he was an alcoholic, like playboy, you know, arguably like Batman, but with a darker past and uh, well, darker personality i would say because they really played into that alcoholism in the comics oh yeah devil in a bottle i think it was called right and he was like a b-list character and marvel had sold off all their a-listers and they were like ah, i guess we'll just make this and I, as much as kevin feige can um you know he can 
take the helm and, and say that he's he's run um you know he's run the mcu for so long i think we can really thank john favreau for really introducing us to everything oh yeah most definitely and look what he's done with the star wars universe just saying like the man he he, he created the uh, elf so <laughs> i don't think we have to <laughs> say anything else about john favreau besides yeah have you seen elf um and i think i think really someone like him who's a fan of what he's working on and it shows in the work is important and what with dc and marvel um we get some people in there that just they're not fans they don't care about it and it, it does show when they when they translate it into their live action work because they don't have that passion for the character as cheesy as some of these characters are and have been for decades there's still something about them that draws so many people to them to the point where they're where a movie's being made um you know a buddy of mine and i went and watched uh shang chi and before we watched it we were expecting massive amounts of changes because if you ever read shang chi when it came out oh it's very problematic it's, it's very- exactly culturally we couldn't have what they wrote yeah and again it's a different time period so we can chalk it up to that and be fine but the, I, I knew we weren't getting the shang chi from the comics i don't think anybody would want shang chi from the comics to be honest with you there's a reason they didn't really do well um i mean i think his dad was named fu manchu yes right? it, yes fu manchu and he had the fu manchu mustache oh yeah. it was it was really really problematic it, 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 but it comes from a time where that like some of the stuff they put in these books was acceptable and it's just we know better now yeah. <laughs> I, I i still am kind of torn on the dad being the mandarin just because the mandarin is such a big character to be just some side name for a guy i think what they're doing if i'm not mistaken might have to go back and watch it, but I think what they're going to be doing is they're just going to be passing the name Mandarin around because if I'm not mistaken, at the end of the movie, I think his daughter took it took um control of the of the ten rings, and I'm pretty sure she is classified as the Mandarin now. So I think that's what they're trying to do with it since they know that they can't do what they originally wanted to, and now since Tony Stark is dead, they can't really do what they wanted to. <laughs> so, I mean, they should just left alone yeah i mean for me i guess i don't mind it just because i was never really a shang chi fan when i read the shang chi like oh he, he just marvel bruce lee and that was it so i like i'm cool with the change that they did because like i said i have now if it was dc i would not trust it at all because dc when they try to do something new with the character it just does not work it, it just does not work but with Kevin Feige, I trust him because, like you said, when you have a love for the source material, you can make something great. My only problem is that I just hate these big firework displays in the third act. I, I really get tired of those. Um, I'm kind of tired of, of them screwing everything up and us having to wait another 10 years for it to be fixed. No. <laughs> like like accept the 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 mistake and just kind of like move on and make it better the next one i can i can understand like we'll use the amazing spider-man right right um now i like tom holland 
don't get me wrong, but I think I really enjoyed Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man. I think he did a good job. I think he was a little bit hipster, but again, your your movies are going to also reflect the time period they're shot in, right? Right. Um, and he did a great job. I think, for, for especially with what he was given, he did a great job. And it shows with how people were freaked out with him coming back, right? Right. His two movies don't do that well, and they just scrap the third one instead of saying, hey, we're going to go hard on this third one and fix everything we just did, right? Right. They keep just canning it and going, oh, we'll reboot it in 10 years. You know, oh, we made bat nipples. Let's give it 10 years and we'll do another <laughs> Batman movie. Man, like, like, <laughs> um, my thing about, I've always... Like I go back and forth with my girlfriend this all the time because I tell her she calls me an Andrew Garfield hater because I do not like the um I do not like the Amazing Spider-Man two is her favorite but I tell her all the time you got to look at it from my standpoint I'm a huge Spider-Man fan so to see them butcher the character like I said uh, you're right uh, Andrew Garfield he plays an amazing Spider-Man but I just I never liked his Peter Parker Toby. I tell you about time. I didn't think Toby was really good at either, but those movies play, have such good nostalgia, and the villains, and the villains are great in those movies. Yeah, the first one is cheesy as hell, but it's the first Spider movie, so I didn't really expect much. But that I've just always felt like Andrew Garfield. If he was given, if he was given an MCU script, I'm sure he would have blew it out the like those movies would have did well. But Sony, um, I forgot the lady's name in charge of sony but she's one of those people who does not know the source material and she just wants to make money instead of make a property that's good well and that's that's a lot of the stuff i mean I'll, I'll i'll agree with you that his his peter parker was definitely not as strong as the spider-man um i i do believe a lot of that was in the writing just from looking at his acting his acting is really good yeah, he's I a great actor. They, they wrote him a Spider-Man that wouldn't hold up. And, and even in his backstory, like the weird underground thing his parents had, like they just changed everything about Spider-Man. And don't even get me on Electro because, <laughs> man, that was, I was I'm like, my, every time my. he lights his powers up, does he just have like a walking dub machine that just walks around with him and, and like, <laughs> like goes off when his powers go off? Them. he is a walking glow-in-the-dark smurf <laughs> yeah there, there wasn't much about that movie that could have been saved for me um and then, villains. then they put the rhino at the end and i was like are you kidding me oh man that was bad and that i was love, just bad and i love paul giamatti but like if you don't get the fuck out of this movie you don't belong here oh yeah there's some <laughs> weird robot iron like thing i'm like come on come on <laughs> but yeah man like oh. this is the 2000s we we can have uh, anybody j- jump into a suit and you can fix it and, and post and just give us you know a giant iron uh, you know uh, rhino looking dude <laughs> yeah man but um but on to the next question what's so crazy about comics i did not realize how much how much comic book media has been adapted into pop culture because um like one of the biggest phenomena for a while was the walking dead and i did not know until like a year into the show that it was a comic book i did not know that 
a friend of mine actually went to school with uh what's his name who created it uh was it i think his name robert kirkman i think yeah who actually also created um uh invincible yes and i love I, i've read all of invincible and i love it and, yeah. and it, but invincible is another title that's really good because you can read it from front to like beginning to end and you're in one title right which i feel like a lot of comic i feel like a lot of modern comics and like like you know like like you said in indie comics they have more of a luxury because they can have streamlined comics instead of just having all these different branching stories and side side arcs so yeah like i haven't read the walking dead so i don't know if it's if it's really good people say it's good i might check it out eventually but i know invincible i loved invincible because it was just something it brought something different to the to the superhero landscape I, I yeah I, I had a couple side stories I think but it all happened in the same universe yeah and so I like I watched the TV show given they did change some stuff in the TV show but I still enjoyed it um, <laughs> they've they've done a bit with um, some of those characters but I mean realistically the book didn't really sell that well to begin with so anybody that's getting up in their arms about them changing some things for a TV show. You know, they cast an actor or an actress and they're going to they're gonna want the character to reflect that actor or actress. Because I guess there was a few um, racial changes that people were upset with, which didn't yeah. kind of confuse me because I didn't really know much about the book before the uh, show hit. So I, I read a few issues, but I was like, I mean, is it that big of a deal? Yeah. Gender swapping characters is another another story all altogether, but you know, race swapping some minor characters. I, I just didn't understand why people were up in arms about that. I mean, for me, I just felt like the only problem I had with it is they made her more annoying in the show than she was in the book. And it just sucks because I'm like, I'm African-American. So that, it just sucks because they made, um I forgot the girl's name. The it girlfriend? Just, yeah, it made the girlfriend, it, like it put black women in a like young black women in a bad light because that's how some of society sees black women and i just did not like that but i wouldn't mind if they if they changed the race i suppose they would have stuck with how they wrote her in the story because in the story she's actually really supportive of, of mark like she's really supportive of mark but then i don't know why they went the route that they went because it like logically it made no sense for why she acted that way but all in all the story is great uh um jk simmons <laughs> he like it's just so funny how omni man in the comics basically is jk simmons yeah i mean jk jk simmons is uh, he's a great uh comic book actor in anything that he does yeah, he's, oh yeah he was i i was so bummed that he was so underused in the dc universe yeah well that's because DC don't know what they're doing. <laughs> but now that you give me the reason why people were upset about, uh, you know, her race race swap, well, that makes sense to me. Um, you know, because they're fundamentally changing a character for one, the personality, and then also a bad light. Like, I get that. I just, you know, we, we spend a lot of time worrying about uh, secondary characters. Now, you would never want to change Iron Man, right? Right. Or 
Thor are these canonical characters. Um, now, a secondary character that nobody knows, I could care less. You know, I couldn't, I, I really don't care what you do with them. Um, <clears throat> but when you change like Captain America, there's a lot to be said about like, cause they talked about, um, yeah, I, well, there was that whole, I remember re reading, and, and comic book fans are also a lot of, a lot of drama. They start drama for no reason without even, <laughs> like when, when it came out that all of a sudden they had a, Superman was gay, right? Oh yes. That opened so, up a lot of, that, that showed a lot of people's true colors. So here's the thing. Superman isn't gay. Clark Kent isn't gay. It's his they son. Didn't just, so I could understand people getting upset about fundamentally changing a character that's over 50 years old. Right. right? Okay. Like, I understand that because this is the character. This is, is what we like, what's been established for 50 years and you're just going to change it to me is lame. Make a new character. That's what I've always said. If you want to change this character who's been around for God knows how long has influenced so much of our pop culture and honestly been like a hero to some kids right right so don't just change that create something new so i started looking it up and i was like oh they literally made a his son who's a new superman gay who cares yeah. right yeah if you don't like that don't just don't read that book <laughs> right so they're not they're not destroying clark kent or your superman with if that really you know ruins it for you they're doing exactly what we've you know a lot of me and other people in the indie community have all agreed upon is like just don't change the character make a new one yeah. give us some new content that's the thing because even though like i'm not part of the lgbtq community but i've always thought like why don't they just make new characters for that community so they can feel in like involved because when i first when they first started doing all these stories of tim i really wasn't mad about tim drake being gay because he was leaning towards the bisexual route anyway in the comics but like when it came to jonathan i'm like um i feel like when after the jonathan one came out I was like it feel like y'all just doing that just to cash in on the lgbtq community when you can support them by making an original character but that's just me like, well I, I i don't subscribe to the idea of the box checking because if you're gonna do something do it with meaning yeah like, um for instance you know like if you want to talk about my book for a, a moment i have uh, you know most of my characters are like my heroes are are white i have one african-american in the book uh terrell boulder and someone asked me you know how do i write a black character because i'm i'm white and i said well i don't you know my book's based off of D D. And so I went to Terrell and he's part of my team. And I asked him how he wanted to market the character. And he said, the only reason the character is black is because I'm black. It's not like we wrote the character to be this way. Right. You know, if, if you want to change his skin color to white, he's still going to be the same guy. Cause I'm just going to play him that way. Right. But right. his like the, the, I think people sometimes forget that unless, and I'll use captain America as an example, like black Panther, right. They're, they're, nationality is part of who that character is and why they are that way right right captain america grew up in the 50s that's part of his like background so changing him would fundamentally change the character but in indie we can have whatever we want we just create whatever we want 
And if we want to have a black character, an Asian character, a white character, you know, people make fun of me because most of my characters come out as like my voices and stuff. They're Italian because I'm Italian from Connecticut. My family moved here from Italy. And so there's a lot of Italian accents in my characters. And I said, well, you just write what you know. And going into like mainstream comics right now, what I think we're experiencing and, you know, going into what you had said about why they're just changing characters. A friend of mine who's been in the industry for a long time, we were discussing this, you know, because he didn't understand why people got upset. And I said, well, a lot of, especially in the, in the nerd culture, right? We grew up on these things and let's just say that was your safe space, okay? Reading comic books and this character was a safe space for you. Like Spider-Man has been for a lot of kids or Superman or Batman, right? Like you going in and, and getting into that, that was your thing. And someone comes in after 30 years and just changes it on you, okay? It's gonna hurt. He said, well, Chris, they're not writing those books for you. They're writing them for them. He said, back then, you had you know, majority white people writing books. So majority of your characters are white. He said, now those same characters have been passed off to people who are part of the LGBTQ community or different races because now the, the companies are employing people, for, you know, diversity. He said, so the companies are majority now in, in that realm. So, and they're giving characters to say, hey, write a story about them. Well, they're gonna write what they know, right? right and that's what we're getting so they don't they're not you know and this comes from the top the top doesn't want to just create new characters but we as fans also don't accept new characters they came right. out with um and I, I never read it but they had that new x-men or new mutants where it just failed after book two and it was a lot of lgbtq and a lot of different stuff in there and it failed. I never read it. I just read the story. I read, you know, people saying how the book failed after like book four, they had to pull it. But I was like, at least they tried to make new characters. Like, that's just kind of what I want to see. I, I don't really want to see them just race swap and gender swap and, you know, um, I, I guess sexuality swap or whatever, just make characters fit into, like take a square into a circle, just make new characters. And I think, you know, where the where the fan base is eventually going to go is to more of an indie style and, and into the indie community because they can find something they want to read in any of those groups right off the top of my head i can name five books by five different creators that you know check a box of some kind without trying to check a box and they, uh, they, they write better stories than the companies that are over here just trying to check boxes. Okay, I feel that. So now we've talked about all the big combo companies. <laughs> We're going to talk about this. These last 30 minutes is about you, Chris. All right. It's all about you. So, so um, like me, this is going to be me asking pointers from you. When you first started your comp, like, what was the hardest part about starting a comic book for you? Uh, learning how to draw. So um, when I started, I never really, I never drew, you know, anatomically correct characters. I never drew a comic book before. And never, most of my stuff was just weird 
abstract art. And I just decided I was going to start drawing a comic book. My wife is a phenomenal artist. And I spent a few months working on my first book. And I went in and I showed it to her. And she reads the whole thing, hands it back to me, goes back to watching TV. And she says, that's okay. <laughs> and I just spent three months working on this. Okay. Like teaching myself how to color, teaching myself how to draw, learning shading, all this other stuff. And I, you know, I get, it's okay. Now, you know, a good amount of people would put it down and be like, well, I guess I suck. You know, well, I spent another month getting better. And then I, I did my next issue and I asked her for help. I said, Hey, you know, you're really good at this. She's a phenomenal artist. Her mother's a phenomenal artist. So I went to people I knew that were really good. I said, can you help me? And they taught me things. My wife would go into every picture I drew and re-edit it for me. And she's like, the arm should be this way. I laugh. All, I tell people all the time, my wife taught me how to draw crotches. She told me I was drawing women because I didn't put a crotch on any man. <laughs> and so she starts helping me with anatomy. Um, and, you know, so that first book, you know, and if you read my books, the, the thing I like to tell people is you get to see my characters level up because it's based off of a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. So you're seeing them gain new powers and, you know, go from, you know, your average, you know, level one hero to a level 20 hero over the course of the entire series. But you're also getting to see me level up in art. Okay, so I'm releasing the sixth issue of um, Crit. It's issue number five, but it, we have a zero issue. So, um, you know, this is my fifth book that I've drawn. Issue zero was done by a friend of mine. And you're seeing in every book, me get a little bit better and a little bit better and um you know that's one of the biggest compliments that i've been getting is wow like somebody my my backers of book four that were also backers on book one and two were like wow like you have just like leveled up and so i i, I tell everybody that's that's the great thing about this you know it was the biggest challenge for me in, in the beginning was having the confidence to put out artwork that i mean when i put it out i was proud of it but I knew it wasn't Jim Lee, right? Right. And I told everybody, I'm not trying to be the next Jim Lee. I'm not trying to be the next anybody. I'm just trying to be me. And who I am right now is I'm a level one. So, you know, level two, level three, and so on and so forth. And I jokingly tell everybody, you know, I'm the DM of the game. So in the book, you get to see me level up because that's what I'm continually doing is trying to be better at my craft. And um, that's my superhero is I'm the guy that, that draws the book because I don't have a character in the book. <laughs> All my friends do. Hello? Yeah. Oh, oh okay. You, you no, I was, I just wanted to stop myself from rambling too much. <laughs> oh, no, you're good. But man, cool. well, first things first, kudos to all the supportive wives out there. Kudos to all of y'all because you really do hold some of us men down because... So, you know, sometimes we, we get down on ourselves. So I'm that's really nice to hear that your wife was willing to help you out and help you draw crotches better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I tell everybody she's the crotch master. She's not <laughs> <to> do it. <laughs> All right. So okay, so you say you have um you you have I guess six issues out or 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 the sixth one coming out soon. 
Yep, six one launches on uh, March second. Okay, so um, how does like how does your writing process like how does your process go with making the the issues in themselves? My process is a little bit different than other people's. So your traditional writer will, you know, flesh out an idea and rough draft the script and then rewrite a script and then rewrite that script and then edit that script, then give it to somebody else who edits it, gives it back, they'll read it, do it again, send it back to an editor, back and forth, right? Right. Um, mine, I don't like to have it so far edited to where it's perfect. What we do is, you know, again, it's based off of Dungeons and Dragons. So once a month on a Sunday, we get together and we play remote now. We had started, you know, play face to face, but COVID hit and we realized how well we played remotely, which doesn't always work. Um, but, you know, we're all in our early 30s to late 30s. And, you know, I've got kids, wife, things like that. We're like, hey, it just works better to play remote. We'll get together every once in a while, but most of the time we play remote. So we roll out of bed, we start D&D, I record the session, and then, you know, right now I think we're like 38 sessions in, so I've got quite a bit of content now. Um, then what I do is I take that recording, and it's about six hours on average. I listen to it when I'm driving, I listen to it when I'm at the gym, um, I listen to it just in the room when I'm drawing. And I take the recording and I kind of, um, I, I kind of blueprint the book. So I'll take a, you know, a day and I'll just rough sketch about three or four pages and I'll send it to a couple of the guys, uh, Brad and Terrell, who are Caliber and Boulder respectively in the book. I send it to them and I say, hey, you know, here's the rough outline of how the story is going to flow because it's D&D, &D, right? And if you ever play D&D, it's utter chaos the entire, mm -hmm. entire time you play. People are talking over each other. You got 10 different things going on at once. So for the reader, I try to sift through all the BS that we have and filter it down into a cohesive story that we still tell the same story. I just get rid of all that, you know, that banter of not hanging out for a month, you know? <laughs> um, now, mind you, some of that banter makes it in the book. And that's what makes the book so much fun is hearing the, just the stupid banter we have. But, you know, I, I, I kind of blueprint it. And then once they give me the, the go ahead, they might tell me, hey, you know, shift the, my, Terrell and Brad really have a lot to say about how character posing is. So they'll give me different ideas for posing or maybe a different flow. And then I'll take that, fix it, and then I'll draw the pages. So after I'm done with the pages, we go back. I have a colorist. While he's coloring, I'm lettering. And we sit for usually a day or two and we go from the beginning of the book to the end of the book. We have the recording out and I put all the dialogue from the, the game into where it would fit in the story. Um, I get everybody involved at this point and we just go page by page and kind of look at the flow, make sure um, it's what your character would say, because I never want to have a character be out of character, you know? Right. So they'll, they'll, we'll read all the dialogue and sometimes we'll have to fix some of it. Like it, maybe the character repeats himself too much. So we want to like consolidate that down. Um, and then after that process, we read the book from start to finish again, make sure it makes sense. And 
then the colorist sends me the colored pages. I put those in underneath the lettering and you have a book. Um, that's not generally how it works for most writers, but we wanna keep our book as close to the campaign as possible. So you get that feeling that it's a natural flow. I don't want it to seem overproduced. I don't want it to seem like fake. It's a natural writing style. And I really want those, our friendship to shine through the dialogue. Um, and one of my favorite pieces of the, there's a few. So in book one, I can, I can pick out something in every book that I, I when we were writing the, the outline, I, I would say, this has to be in the book. This happened in the game, or this was said while we were playing, and we died laughing, so it has to be there because it's like the memorable moment. And so in book one, there's a, um, in the first meeting where they're meeting the guy who they work for, and he's kind of going over some of their past games, because I kind of cut out a good few games that, um, A, I didn't have the recordings for, and B, we hadn't really solidified how the game was gonna be played. So they're meeting with their boss, Shaw, and he's talking about the level of violence they have. Mind you, if you play D&D, you're used to murder hobos, and they were murder hobos. <laughs> and um, he goes, you know, Shaw is talking to Caliber, and he says, you know, like, did you really need to shoot him in the head? And in the game, this was a conversation I was trying to have. I was trying to ask, like, pretty much tell Caliber at, like, in a nice way you know, bring the violence down a level. You're supposed to be a hero. And he, and I'm like, so did you really need to shoot him in the head? And he goes, well, that's generally how you kill people. <laughs> <laughs> and the, like the whole entire, if you read through book one, they're just that opening sequence of things. I said, this has to be the opening because it was just so funny the the back and forth between everybody, it really set the tone very well for how the, these group of guys work together. And in book two, they capture a guy that was, you know, robbing uh, Technetic, the company they worked for. They were, they were robbing stuff from him. And during the, uh, the scuffle, Boulder gets shot at. So, of course, Boulder wants to, you know, get revenge on this dude for shooting him. And Caliber's like, no, you know, and this happened all in game. He goes, no, he's like, wow, look, this guy we can use for later. Like, if we let him go... He owes us a favor and I can, you know, in game, you know, the way the mechanics work, he's like, I can call a favor on him. He's going to owe me something. And um, they got into a, uh, an argument and Boulder looks at him and goes five times. He shot me five times and they go back and forth. He's like, you're going to Don Carleone him. And because uh, <laughs> in the book or in the, in the game, Caliber starts quoting, you know, Don Carleone and, you know, he, and, so it, it was just such a funny sequence of events. I said, okay, well, that one's got to stay. And in book three, you know, again, it's based off D&D. And it was my, my birthday session. So they had, we had set this big fight up and they were coming towards the end of the fight. And my wife walks in, she's like, hey, we have to go pick up my dog. And I said, dang it. Like, so we had to cut the, the session short. We were really close to the end anyway. And so I kind of like wrote, I was like, all right, so a bomb's about to go off now because this thing happened. You guys have to escape. What do you do? And, uh, you know, we have a character that can fly. We have a character that can teleport. And the other two, one of them is just a human. Like he has no, his, his special power is he's immune to superpowers. So if you throw a fireball at him, it does nothing. 
Um, the other one, he's kind of like a Captain America. How I describe Boulder is if you took Eddie Murphy and turned him into All Might, that's what you would have as that, Boulder. That is funny and interesting at the same time. <laughs> it's, it's perfect. Um, it's actually a, a really good. When we came up with the analogy, I was like, it fits perfectly. Um, so, so Boulder grabs Caliber, throws him over his shoulder, and he, he goes, um, he said in, in game, and this wasn't anything I had to do. I said, so guys, what are you going to do? You need to get out of this building. You're like 10 stories up. What are you going to do? And they look at each other like, aim for the bushes. <laughs> and they're like, aim for the bushes. Oh. And then they pull up the video on YouTube from the other guys with the song. And they're like, that's how we're going to end the, end the session right now. We're just going to jump out the window and hope for the best. <laughs> <laughs> and they rolled really well, so they survived the fall. And um, when it came time to put the book together, I was like, you know, that has to go in there. We'll just have to change the music piece because, you know, for copyright purposes. And so I changed like one, one piece of lyrics. It's like, you know, there goes my heroes instead of there goes my hero. So, you know, I changed it a little bit. <laughs> and um they jump out of the window and it it's literally the scene from the other guys it's it's like hey we can't fly what do we do and they're like aim for the bushes aim for the bushes <laughs> <laughs> and um one of the best things somebody said to me recently was they love how aware like self-aware my characters are and they they know pop culture references and i think you know, looking back, I'm really glad that we held on to a lot of those pop culture refer re references in the book because we're indie and nobody knows anything about us. Right. But there's a certain level of comfort when you're reading something and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I know that, right? Right. It's why they throw in a character, you know, like you see that meme every once in a while of a uh, family guy where he's like, oh, that's the thing, right? Yeah. Because it's like, oh, I don't know anything about this, but I recognize that so I can immediately relate to your story. <laughs> and people were just picking up on our pop culture stuff and really dig, that's what kind of like drew them in. And I said, okay, cool. We got something going here. You know, there, even if you don't know about my book, at least you can understand the pop culture references and then eventually you'll, you know, flow into the story. And um, book four is probably my favorite. That, so in book four, they're they're getting in the car and they're you know they want music playing while they're driving they want their battle music and um they were like hey, caliber always drives and he looks at me and goes like yeah, i want um they're, they're just arguing about a song and it turns into when we're writing the, the book i was like well what song do we put and it turns into insert song so they argue over what the best song is and they're saying how this is the best song and it's, but it's insert song. So we never named the title of the song. It's like insert song is the best song there ever is. And um, it's for, so I'll actually read the, the sequence because I have it up here on my computer. And um, at first when we, were, when we were doing this, when we were writing it out, we were still trying to figure out what song we wanted to put there. And so I just put, again, insert song there. I was like, all right, we'll come back to it later because we spent like an hour trying to figure out what song we wanted to put in the book. And we couldn't come up to, up, up with a, uh, an agreement. So I, I, we just read the book without remembering to fix that. And it was just so funny we kept it in. So Caliber says, you know, put in my Kenny Loggins mixtape number seven. 
And then Boulder says, you know, which, which, uh, which Kenny Loggins song, you know, like there's so many good ones to choose. And so he goes, uh, <laughs> uh, put in insert song. And so insert song is my favorite jam. And Austin looks at him and goes, I don't even know what insert song is. <laughs> Austin's like the young one. And Boulder was like, well, with age, you'll learn to appreciate insert song. And then Caliber's like, well, insert song is the greatest musical masterpiece of all time. <laughs> so, but what it does for the reader, you know, because originally it was supposed to be like, we were supposed to fix it. It lets the reader put their own song in there. Yeah, I was, I was just thinking like, well, technically you can, if I'm reading, I can just say whatever song would come to my mind. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I had a bunch of people that read book four and they were like, oh, that was perfect. Like the timing is there. And, you know, the reason we kept it wasn't, wasn't to, you know, be funny or anything like that. We kept it because we liked it. We went through and we were reading. And as we were reading that line, we just started dying laughing. And I said, guys, if we're laughing at it and we've, we've been at this for eight hours now and we still find this funny there people are gonna like it yeah and it worked yeah man that is that that's crazy like your writing process because it it just feels organic and natural and like i tell everybody all the time um one process isn't the proper writing process it's whatever you feel comfortable with and it seems that it works for you guys because it comes off natural from your dnd sessions now me personally i've never played dnd I've always wanted to, but I just get intimidated by it because I'd be hearing how long them sessions be going. <laughs> but like, yeah, like um, I really like that process. Now, how um how often are you able to put out a book? Like as far as the like il- um illustrating it, writing it, and then publishing it. So I've been challenging myself over the past year to get to four books a year. Last year I put out issues zero three and four. So I did three books. My goal was four. And I like to tell people I did really put out four because I kind of remastered book one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But this year, I'm using my fifth book to kind of gauge my performance the rest of the year. And if I can hit my deadline, which right now I'm on on pace to hit it, uh, I could do three to four books a year. So I don't really like launching books at the end of the year. So I'll probably just be doing three, three quarters a year and letting the last quarter not, like not worrying about a book and just launching again first quarter. Um, but if I can have a book done and ready to go, we'll, we'll, we'll just see it. I, I, I kind of want to, I want to play this one by year, but I know this year I'll do three books. Um, I've got 38 written. So I kind of need to, kind of need to get that going um, <laughs> but again you know like i said <clears throat> this book i'm launching the kickstarter in a month and i've already got 20 pages done mind you this is a double-sized issue so it's going to be about 50 pages long um i'm confident that i can do four books in a year just by the the progress i've made on this book so right. Um, but again, this year we're, we're definitely doing three. I know I'm going to be able to do three. I'm still going to shoot for that, that, that fourth book. If I can, I just don't want to push it and then either not have it be ready or put it out fourth quarter. And 
know, with Christmas and stuff coming up, you don't want to do that. Right. So, like I said, we're getting close to the end of the interview, so I got, like, just a few more questions. Mm-hmm. Now, for me, I've been wanting to start my comic book, Dante, forever. So, for somebody new, a newcomer like me into the business, what advice could you give people like me on starting a comic book? Like, what, what do you think are the first steps you need to take to starting your own comic book? You need to just create something that you like. So, you know, find someone close to you that you mesh well with. Maybe not even someone that's close to you, someone you trust, right? Right. And I would say that the best thing about my team and something I learned, because originally I was just going to do it all myself, was when I got, you know, Brad involved and Terrell involved, and they were able to balance me. Because everything I write, you know, I think about it and I think about it. I'm like, oh, I like this. I like this. This is good. This, I really enjoy this. And then I would show it to them or talk to them about my plot. And they would give me their perspective. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. Because, you know, I saw it this way and, you know, they're coming at it from a different angle. And they're like, well, that doesn't really make sense because of this. Oh, I forgot about that. Or man, that's kind of boring to me, you know, because we've already done this. How about we do it this way? And so getting that second and third set of eyes is really important. You're always going to love what you create, but I think getting, getting someone else's opinion, and this is also, it's tough for some people because, you know, let's face it, it's, you know, creative criticism is really hard to take. Um, You just need to be able to open yourself up to it. Some of the best books I've read are ones where that person allowed someone else to critique it and they listened to it. The worst books that I've read are, are from people who have asked even me for, for advice or my friends and I, I knew what the advice they got and they disregarded it. And when I got the book, I was like, man, it would have been so much better if they listened to someone's advice. <laughs> so do not be afraid of creative criticism no one's saying you suck they're saying hey this could be better right like if you have a bad idea you know for me right i had my wife who said that's just okay right right now my wife could have been oh that's great you did a great job and then i would have given the world something that was just okay (laughs) (laughs) right given my first book you know um i'm i'm completely confident in the fact that my first book the artwork is not nearly as good as the fifth book but to me I knew that you know I knew going into it that there were going to be people that said hey your artwork in book one isn't that great but I knew by book two I was going to be better because by the end of book one I was better than I was on the first page of book one right yeah and you, you just have to understand that creative criticism is there to make you better right and i think that's my problem like i think i gotta take criticism when it comes to writing this book more because my girlfriend tries to give me advice but i'm just like you know like i, I just look at it as like my baby you know like nothing can tell me nothing but i am going to start taking more constructive criticism now this is something that i like to do at the end of every interview i like to ask them the mount rushmore question so since this is since you're a comic book writer 
I have I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you two Mount Rushmore questions. Mm-hmm. The first one is who would be your Mount Rushmore of comic book characters? It can be from any genre, any company. So like the pinnacle? Yes. Um, like like the four pinnacle, four, four pinnacle characters in your eyes. I'm gonna go with Ninja Turtles for one. Um, I don't think we'd have indie comics today if it wasn't for the success of Ninja Turtles. Okay. Um, if you read the, 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 what they went through to make that book, and I mean, they were just in a living room publishing books and they were selling more than big, big companies. It's an inspirational story. Um, you know, do you want just comic book characters or also creators? Um, do um, like one, um, one for one, like one comic book creator and then one comic book character. We'll do it that way. Okay. So definitely uh, I'm going to go old school and say like characters. I, I mean, pick any of the Ninja Turtles just because of the, the precedent they set for indie comics. And then as far as creators, I mean, there's a reason that Todd McFarlane is called the Todd father. And if I'm going to give anybody like the advice that worked for me, I watched his YouTube interviews where he had applied for Marvel so many times and got shot down that he just kept drawing and kept submitting and kept drawing and kept submitting as like 300 of these letters that he was denied, you know, to work there. Even at one of them, he got while he was working there. He right. was he was at work and he got a letter denying his, his his you know artwork. And he walked down two floors and said, "Hey, you just sent this to me, but I work two floors above you now." <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, he he says in there that he you know he was working a full time job and he was a dad. He didn't have time to to you know as some like a full time artist but he always dedicated one hour of time a day to his craft. And, you know, in 2020, during COVID, we were locked down. I had to drive to Connecticut and you know, I'm in North Carolina. So I had a 12 hour drive home um, to visit my family. And I watched nothing but his YouTube interviews the entire time. I watched the creation of, of Image Comics. I watched all these interviews and I just absorbed as much as I could from these guys. And the one thing I really took home was like, just persevere. So if you have something that you believe in and you've put your work into it and you've, you've honed it and you've, you know, molded it and you're proud of it, just continue on with it. Don't let anyone tell you, Hey, it's not good enough. You know, um, I was a musician. I was signed to a subsidiary of Sony for uh, about six years. And when I started my band i didn't even know how to play guitar i just told people that i knew how to play and eventually i figured it out <laughs> <laughs> and you know i love you i love to use that story because i we we actually did really well you know especially locally we sold out some stuff we got to be on warp tour we did very well for for you know small little metal band and they ask like you know where did you learn to per- persevere and i could go back to my childhood there's always been something that stood in my way and you just learn to overcome that. You, you have two choices, okay? You can either climb that mountain, right? Right. And, and, and take those, those, those falls and those punches along the way because it's going to happen, okay? Someone's going to say, this sucks. There's no doubt about it. The mountain peak is when you find that one person that you don't know that says, oh, wow, I like this. 
and there goes with my cat <laughs> <laughs> who's actually in the book i have a uh, there's a cat named Samedi. he's a top hat wearing bow tie wearing cigar smoking alcohol drinking cat and he's based off my jerk of a cat <laughs> um yeah but uh just just climb that mountain okay and if there's one thing i learned playing music for every one person that likes what you do there are 10 people that don't and that's okay just as long as you have that one person because that one person is going to equate to another 10 right and that's all that matters so just keep fighting until you get that one and the rest is going to come real easy because I didn't plan on doing comic books. I didn't think anybody would even care about me and my friends playing Dungeons and Dragons. And, you know, my last book, we had 130 backers. I've had on my website alone, we get about 100 uh, you know, in between books. So I'll sell, do about 100 and something backers on Kickstarter. And then we'll have about 100 orders on our website just for dudes playing D&D. So when the first book, and I tell you this too, um, I'll take a couple minutes here. People talk about Kickstarter and they talk about, you know, the, I can talk about the perseverance. When I launched Crit on Kickstarter, the first issue, I went to Kickstarter. I had no idea what I was doing. All right. I all hadn't right. researched anything. I had no friends in the community. I made an Instagram. The same day I made an Instagram, I went in and I launched a Kickstarter. Okay. Um, it failed. It didn't, it didn't fund. I made like, I had a $1,500 goal. Looking back, I really needed about 400 bucks to pay the colorist and that was it. And it failed. A friend of mine contacted me and I, I think on that Kickstarter, I had about 35 backers, okay? Um, he contacted me on Facebook and said, hey, you're, you're doing comics now? I said, yeah. He's like, everything that you do, I know you follow through on, how much money do you need? I was like, yeah, I need about four or $500 to get the you know, the colorist done and then for printing. He just opens up Facebook and sends me 500 bucks. Oh, wow. You know, he, he's an independently wealthy guy. You know, he got, he got in early on, on legal marijuana. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, he has his own private jet and stuff. He's, but he's still a cool guy. And he said, you know, you'll use this. You know, he's like, if you need it, here you go. And what I did was I used that money. I got my book done and I contacted every one of those people on Kickstarter and I sent them a free book. Oh, I said, okay. you believed in my book, not knowing anything about me. I made the worst Kickstarter page. I didn't do anything for promotion. I didn't even know what I was doing. And yet you showed interest. So because you believed in me that much, I'm going to give you a free book. And I sent everybody a free book, right? I launched my second Kickstarter Three months later, and we funded in a, the first day, uh, got about $2,000 on that one. And most of those people were returning backers from the first one. And so I was like, okay, we're doing something right. They liked it. They liked their free copy enough to come back and spend money. <laughs> right. And, um, you know, I just continued on from there. So I could have just quit when the first Kickstarter failed. I could have just called it quits. All right. My wife said, this isn't that great of an idea. Nobody wants to back it. Like it's going nowhere, but I just pushed a little bit further. And just that, that little push that I kept doing, we got there and I'm still, you know, I don't consider us anybody in the, in the community, but we're, we're, you know, we're funding and people, you know, we're up to like what, 4,000 followers on Instagram and, 
you know, we're, we have a stuffed animal now and I've got, <laughs> we're, we're doing a lot of stuff that I didn't think would happen when we first started, but it's just because every single, every single time there's a roadblock, we just persevere through that. And there's always that light at the end of the tunnel. So, you know, my biggest takeaway from all of this stuff that I've done and since 2019, when we started this idea is every time I hit a roadblock, I just continue on. Okay. You know, if this is something that I really want to do, then nothing's going to stop me. Okay. Well, like I said, I know you got to get here in E, but I still, I just at least want to get your, your uh, the remaining three uh, Mount Rushmore's for your combo carriage and rise yeah. before we get you up out of here. Yeah, I, I'm a long-winded. Sorry. Uh, no, you're good. You're right. good. You're good. So I got my creator. I got my character. What was the last ones? Uh, it was the Team Team Ninja Turtles for the character mm-hmm. and Todd um, Todd McFarland for uh, – the for creator. The, for the creator so you got three more what are my other three gotta be just anything i want just in, l- l- like i said it is your list it's your it's your top four okay i'm gonna put spawn on there because i mean they've got over 300 issues of an indie comic it's uh you know given you know you can say what you want about image now but it you know but they're still continued considered an indie comic and gotta give credit to the fact that he hasn't rebooted that that series and we haven't had to figure out another issue zero. So I think Spawn will always have a, a nice, you know, warm spot in my heart, considering I have literally traveled the country to meet Todd McFarlane and buy his book. So there's that one. Um, Got to give it to, to uh, Chris Claremont, because I think he's written some of the, the most influential stories and in, in comic books. Um, we, you know, we still pull from them. A lot of our movies are, are drawn from them. Um, I'm going to be at a loss for the name because I'm actually kind of hungry. I'm brain dead. Who wrote The Dark Knight? Can't think off the top of my head. It was uh, um, something Miller. Frank Miller. Uh, Frank Miller. Frank, Frank Miller. Frank Miller. Okay. We can attribute a lot of our dark, gritty storylines that we're getting these days to Frank Miller. Uh, he really pushed the, pushed the envelope there, with, with especially with Batman, because I don't think he liked Batman, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, or maybe it was Superman. He didn't like. He didn't like one of them, so he just started like just making everything dark. Um, so I got to get Frank Miller, you know, uh, uh, um, um, a Mount Rushmore. And I mean, really, last but not least, I'm gonna I am gonna use Batman because Batman was on my first birthday cake. He's on my wedding ring, and when I I told you I was in a band uh, years later, I got mail from people that I hadn't even seen in a decade, and it was batman related paraphernalia because they remembered how much i like batman and i'll tell you what i forgot at one point how much i like batman until people started giving me free batman stuff <laughs> i'd be at work and i'd have a customer come in like oh yeah you like batman don't you i'm like really i do <laughs> my dad has a batman tattoo because he has a tattoo for like um all the family members on one arm and my tattoo is the um the Azrael batman uh john paul valley just because mm-hmm. when I was a kid, that robotic Batman suit was badass. And I told him it was my favorite one. I still love that suit, even though, you know, we can argue about John Paul Valley. Uh, <laughs> so he has that on him. That's how big of an impact Batman has, I guess, on my life. And, you know, everybody around me knows it. So okay. I got to give Batman the props. Um, probably wouldn't even be into much of the pop culture stuff if it wasn't for them. Okay. Okay. Well, like, like I said, I think that was three, but we'll stop at three because we're going to get you out of here. But before we get you out of here, Chris, 
Mm-hmm. I I let everybody on my podcast promote what they got going on in future projects. So where can the people find you works at and what do you have planned for the future? Okay, I'll give all my social right now. So website is homebrewedcomics.com. Uh, you can find our links to all of our social sites on there. If you're on Instagram, it's just at homebrewedcomics. Facebook and Twitter are at homebrewedcomics, but it's with an X instead of a CS because... Somebody already had those. Um, as far as what I've got coming, March 2nd, we are launching uh, the fifth issue, uh, issue five, which is the sixth issue, but it's also the closing of chapter one. So I've got an entire, um, all, all six books in one compendium that we're going to be launching with it as well. You'll be able to pick up at the very beginning. So even if you haven't checked out Crit yet, you can get in. Everything is going to be available. We've got custom uh, D6 dice. We're going to be releasing a beta version of the game in that. So you can make your own version of our heroes and play them as you wish. If you play D and D, um, we're going to have another figure on that one for caliber last, last Kickstarter. We did Boulder this, this one we're doing caliber and, um, we're also doing a, uh, you know, get drawn into the book. So, you know, on the next, uh, issue, issue six, when that comes out later this year, anybody that does back one of these tiers is going to be able to get drawn into the book and um we're doing collector cards again because they were a big hit last time and i actually have a couple people ask me for more they picked up second sets so we're doing the villains this time and uh bringing our our villains home on the cards i've got a great artist working on those right now so definitely check it out march 2nd crit 5 it's called intestinal fortitude and the cover speaks for itself and um yeah really that's what i got going on well man after this interview i enjoyed this interview it was having a blast talk comic books and learn about your comic book i think you just earned yourself a new backer sir you earned yourself a new backer no problem so check me out on social media and keep in touch i i I, i'm on there all the time so oh no i will most definitely like i said um like uh once we go off air i'll probably get the information again because i'm slow (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, man, this was a really great interview. Thank you for your time, man. Thank you. I appreciate you giving me an hour to just talk your ear off. <laughs> oh, no, you're fine, man. And people, like I said, you can find this man on all of social medias, and you know where to find me. And just like always, when you come to these reviews and interviews, just remember to always bring the popcorn. All right, y'all, we out. <laughs>